Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on! From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Sunday night for your Monday morning delivery. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we cover the latest in mixed martial arts. We got a lot of news to talk about, and we have a UFC Orlando event to talk about that was pretty stellar. A lot of good fights, some finishes. That main card, man, it's pretty violent. And we also had a nice fight in the main event. Some calling it a fight of the year candidate. So, that, along with Danny Sabatello, a Bellator Bantamweight, who's in the semifinals of the Bellator World. How do they call it? I know they call it the World Bantamweight Grand Prix. They have world champions over there. UFC champions are just UFC champions. They don't, they're not called world champions, but Bellator does call them that. It's the Bellator World Grand Prix. No, it's got to be the Bellator Bantamweight World Grand Prix. There you go. We didn't have an event last week in the UFC, so I want to go there for the start of the show, and I'm going to give you some quick results from the prelims, and then we'll head towards the good stuff. The main card had a lot of finishes and a lot of top fighters, but this fight card did have a lot of named fighters, or a lot of fighters that uh, have been in the UFC for a while, so they have name recognition. Uh, Orlando really, really had a nice fight night. Starting with Yasmin, Yadawi stays undefeated at 10-0. She defeated Estela, Estela excuse me, Nunez. Francis Marshall defeated Marcelo Rojo. To be fair to Francis Marshall, he stays undefeated at 7-0. Natan Levy, a recent guest on MMA Junkie Radio. He defeated Gennaro Valdez. He climbs to 8-1. Jonathan Pierce goes to 14-4. He defeated Darren Elkins. Man, that sucks. I like Darren Elkins. Goes. I like the damage. Michael Johnson, he defeated Mark Diakise. Uh, Johnson climbs to 21 and 18, but trust me, he's way more of a badass than his record shows, and he's been doing this for a minute. Clay Guida, split decision win over Scott Holtzman. Clay Guida, another guy, just forget about the records, man, 38 and 22. These guys have put in some time into the sport. Angela Hill, 15 and 12. Put her in the Guida Johnson category. Forget about the record. She's she's, uh, been doing this for a long time. She's respected, man. She defeated Ellie. Emily Ducati in the uh, one of the last of the uh, prelims there. Phil Rowe defeated Nico Price, recent guest on MMA Junkie Radio as well. What did you think of the prelims? I thought I thought they were pretty damn good. Uh, every fight had some either one or two fighters that you're just kind of invested in for some kind of reason. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, they delivered. There were there were good fights, man. Good scraps. Yeah. What is it about some recent fights at the Apex that just didn't get our tails wagging? They were. It wasn't sexy on paper. The cards. And sure enough, on fight night, we had some moments, and we kind of quickly forgot about it. But it wasn't like this one. This one, when the paper was slipped in front of me, and I looked at it, I go, "That's not a bad card." I, that's actually mm-hmm. what I said. That's that's not a bad card. Where are these fight nights? More of these, please. Yeah, no, it was fun, dude. Um, you know, part of it too is like when you think about some of the names that you threw out there, the records may not be stellar, but they are fighters that come to fight. And they're usually, and I bet you if you look up and down their record, back in the day, I bet you you'll find a lot of them in fights right before the pay-per-view. Because that's the one that they try and get you on to sell that pay-per-view. These are those types of fighters. There were a lot of them scattered throughout the card. Exactly. And I guess, to be fair, to use some of the history from us covering the sport, it could be that Jonathan Pierce or Natan Levy or Francis Marshall become the next big name, and they're just buried on a prelim. I'll give you an example. UFC 100, right? That was big because it was Brock Lesnar versus Frank Mir. It was George St. Pierre versus Thiago Alves. So Lesnar and GSP, two big pay-per-view stars, and they were defending their belts on the same card. Then you had Michael Bisping and Dan Henderson, coaches on The Ultimate Fighter, and two guys that, you know, chirped and sold that pretty well. John Fitch and Paulo Thiago. Yoshihiro Akiyama and Alan Belcher. But guess who was on the undercard? John Jones versus Jake O'Brien. I'm sure back then mm-hmm. we just went, oh, yeah, okay, you know, cool. Who else? Jim Miller was on that card. He was on UFC 100. He wants to get on UFC 300. Yeah, he's so, been on 100 that. and 200. Yeah, exactly. So there was some names there, you know, and and that we may have dismissed because we didn't know what they were capable of. So to be fair, I always want to say we don't want to go overboard with uh, burying the UFC. They obviously know what they're doing. But again, when you look at a Orlando card and one of the recents at the Apex, you can tell, you know, you can tell the main event the co-main like that yeah, there, there there's a difference you know what i mean so mm-hmm. I, I think that criticism is fair for sure yeah it's definitely fair but you know not just that like the crowd kind of helps even though they were kind of sauce at times mm-hmm. but they do kind of make you feel like you're a little bit more invested in fights and what what i always say and i think you say too as well is a good measurement of a card is how many ranked fighters are on yeah and there were yeah. a lot of ranked fighters on this one Ranked fighters or fighters that were ranked at one point and carry a name, like some of the ones we mentioned earlier in Michael Johnson and Clay Guida, Angela Hill. But now we uh, continue here with the rest of the card. Eric Anders uh, stopped Kyle Dawkins in round two. Good for Eric Anders back at middleweight where he wants to be. Big, big win for Eric Anders goes. Yeah. You know, there were quite a, there were a couple of these fights that ended uh, pretty quickly. And they were very dominant. He was one of them. And Eric Anders, he's a guy that I think everybody just kind of likes. You know, he's a nice guy. Uh, he's respectful of the sport. He comes from another sport. And um, I, I just feel like I don't know where he's at as far as when he first started. I saw a lot of potential. And he kind of went through his streak. Um, 
it's not for a lack of trying. I think he really does go to the gym. I think he tries to get better. But I, I don't know exactly what we have, except for when he shows up on your schedule, you're probably not too happy to fight him because he is a tough out. But I don't know that he'll ever wear gold or anything. But it, it's, you know, hopefully it's a first first step to getting things back on track. Yes. Um, however, he'll be disappointed to find out, which he already probably has by now, that Alabama will not be in the quartet for the Final Four football style, the national champion, and neither will USC. So before anyone starts on on that, I know I watched we that get on the play too well. lane. Yeah, that's kind of a drop off, huh? At the Cotton Bowl. I mean, I guess they are in their spot, but yeah, it's not really a sexy matchup to be considered in the to be in that playoff and then all of a sudden you're facing Tulane. I mean, the hell's that? It's Tulane. That's what it is. Yeah. Um Roman Delitzi steps in for Der- Derek Brunson and he defeats Jack Hermanson. He also got uh, a stoppage in round two. Yeah, that was no that was a good uh a good win for him. But you know I didn't I forgot he stepped in for it was for Derek Brunson. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Derek, Derek Brunson. And guess what, goes? We also lost Ter- Tracy Cortez versus Amanda Hebas either mm-hmm. uh, the day of the of the weigh-ins, if I'm not mistaken. So this card could have even been better. No disrespect to Delitze. Obviously, pre-fight, he's a drop-off from Derek Brunson, but now he comes out of the fight shining pretty bright after this win. That's a good win for him. Mm-hmm. Joker's got to get things back on track, though. Who? The Joker's got to get things back on track. Though. Oh, yeah, yeah. They said Hooker. I was like, okay. Um... Sergey Pavlovich defeated Ty Tuivasa. That was the next fight up. Dude, that and was pretty amazing. It was violent, you know, but we were still three fights away from the main event. And Sergey Pavlovich, 16 and 1 against Ty Tuivasa, 15 and 4. These are top, top heavyweights, man. Again, I can't say enough about this Orlando card. Um, congrats to Sergey, though. Pinpoint heavy handed. I, I forgot how many fights are on this card, and you're you're right. You know, on top of everything, we lost one, mm-hmm. and it felt like it had a good pace and everything. But didn't it feel like as soon as the fight was wrapped up, they were just like introducing the next fighter, like they were moving it along? But this one, dude, oh, Taito Ivasa. I mean, I think everybody felt the same way. I think he came back a little too soon. Not that it would really. Uh, I don't want to take anything from Pavlovich's victory. But uh, I think it was a little too soon. And I liked what I heard after the fight that he's going to take some time off because you need that, man. You really do. Yeah, especially after getting lumped up like that. Thank God he wasn't completely removed from consciousness. Um, but the we move on to the flyweights. Matthias Nicolau defeated Matt Schnell. Bummed out for Schnell. I always root for that guy, but I've come to realize Matthias Nicolau is no joke, man. We should be talking uh, for uh, on behalf of him as one of the top contenders in the flyweight division at this point. Yeah, no, totally. This is a good fighter. Um, yeah, from Brazil. He's right. kind of one of those, those quiet assassins, you know, where he's amounted a streak that you just kind of forget about because there's so many fighters and all that. But uh, watching that fight was kind of weird because, you know, you're used to Schnell taking a big shot and then figuring out a way to come back. It usually happens in in his fights. Sometimes he doesn't come back and win, but at least comes back and makes it a fight. But in this particular one, you could just kind of see the writing on the wall, the way Nikolai was moving. 
uh, he was just waiting for that shot. When he connected, man, he jumped on it, and and that was curtains for him, for Chanel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, Nicolau's kind of had two careers in the UFC. He came through the Ultimate Fighter in Brazil, uh, and then he came came out once he was outside, you know, fighting in the, uh, you know, on the actual UFC roster, no longer the exhibition routes, uh, bouts. He beat John Moraga, and at the time, John Moraga was around the time that he was a title contender. You know, he fought Demetrius Johnson for the world title. So I remember thinking, mm-hmm. wow, that was a big upset. I'm going to have to keep an eye on him. Then he defeats Lewis Smoker. So he was 3-0 and in the UFC before he ran into Dustin Ortiz. And then, poof, he was just kind of gone from the sport, gone from the UFC, um, resurfaced at Brave or whatever. Now, now remember, that, that loss to Ortiz was like in 2018. And then he came back again to the UFC in 2021. And since then, he's defeated Man- Manel Kopp, Tim Elliott, David Dvorak, and now Matt Schnell. So all very decent names in the flyweight division. The first three were decisions, but now he got his finish. And with a shiny record, like 19-2-1-1, I'm telling you folks, you got to start paying attention. Yeah, pay attention to some of these guys, dude, because they creep up on you, man. The way the UFC puts out cards like that and the way we can just so quickly turn the page and forget, uh, you're going to have these types of fighters. And and they have to do a good job of promoting themselves, too. You mm-hmm. know, that that. The moment you get that mic is very, very important. You can leapfrog a lot of people. You can make it so that people remember you. And uh, you have to jump on those opportunities. Yep. And I, in fact, I should have given some love to Delise because he's also got the same thing. He's got a four or five win streak coming, except he's had more finishes than Nicolau. He's defeated Steropoli, Kyle Dacus, Phil Haas, and now Jack Hermanson. Jack Hermanson's a big name who's been ranked and he got the finish. So, this is huge. Now you put that together with the 12 and one record, the eyeballs are on you. So good on Roman Delice and a shout out to the country of Georgia. This is yet another fighter from the country of Georgia, along with Marab Davalishvili and um, my man from uh, Rain Train or sorry from oh, Kings um, MMA. Yeah, the uh, his handles cancer something cancer right like knockout cancer. Yeah, why am I blanking oh on the name? Uh, hold on, hold on. Giga, Chicago. Yeah, how could I forget? So there's probably a few others from Georgia, but Georgia is definitely on the map. Um, congrats to Roman Delice. We get to the co-main event. Rafael Dos Anjos defeated Brian Barbarina. Submitted him. Round two. This was at 170 pounds. Still kind of throwing McGregor's name out there. Remember, they were supposed to fight. He was supposed to be the welcoming party to McGregor at 55 after he knocked out Jose Aldo fight fell apart. They've kind of teased each other, but this was the red panty night, the original one. Now, I don't know if he'll get it, but throw it out. Sure. See what happens. I, I you know, but I, I don't think he'll get it. Cause that was a long time ago. And McGregor basically just wants to fight another guy that can help sell pay-per-views. I think. Um, and, and, and you know what goes, honestly, I didn't like McGregor's chances back then, and I still don't like him now, even though he's probably RDA might be past his prime, probably is part past his prime. This guy can strike, and this guy's got a really, really good ground game, man. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. which is basically the kryptonite for McGregor. Yeah, because he can not only take you down, but he's awesome at holding you down and getting the right positions to do work. So if I'm Connor McGregor, I definitely don't want this fight. Uh I don't I don't hate RDA for throwing it out there. Because eventually, if you're Conor McGregor, you're going to have to address it. And in the past, when he addresses it, 
it's usually around the time that RDA has a loss or something. But he looked pretty damn stunning in this fight, man. I mean, everything went his way. So uh, if he can put together a couple of those performances, like, well, what do you say? How do you even avoid something like that? And he's 32 and 14. So mm -hmm. another guy where you just forget about the 14 losses. Um, I know Colby used to attack George because he had a lot of losses. But, yeah. Sometimes fighters just lose a lot of decisions, especially if there's counter fighters or if they're always fighting at the top or if they're just frank, if they've just been fighting for a long time. But um, it doesn't mean that they're that they're not, you know, legends of the game or, or at least demand some respect because of their tenure. Again, Guida, Johnson, man, those oh, all these guys, RDA, those three might have close to 100 fights. I don't know. In the UFC, maybe I'll, maybe we have to throw one more fighter in there, but they've been doing it for a long time, I'm sure, and I hope the UFC appreciates that. Yeah. Steven Thompson and Kevin Holland, wow. So, again, Twitter was blowing up. My casual friends were telling me about it, and, you know, the hardcores in the media that I talked to were saying this was right up there. It wasn't the Steven Thompson type fights where the lights can come out on your phone and get waved back and forth like you're at a concert. He wasn't the tactician. He was throwing down. Yeah, I thought I was watching Cobra Kai out there. I mean, they were just, it was all stand up. It was all bombs being thrown back and forth, back and forth. Wonder Boy was still a little bit of Wonder Boy, but when he threw, especially his kicks to the body, he meant business, man. And, and you know, uh, Kevin Holland, it's like, you know, you hear these these comments come out that he had low fighter IQ and all that. You know, I don't know that it's really fighter IQ. I think he just doesn't give a shit. He just wants to go out there and uh, and make some cash. And if you're Dana White, like, how do you not reward this kid? How do you not give him more money? Regardless of, of how much, uh, what his record's at right now, he's entertaining. When you see him on a card, you're going to buy the pay-per-view because you know the way he fights and um that's worth something you know so it was a great performance even kevin holland probably made a lot of fans in a loss as ridiculous as that sounds i think he probably made fans in, in that loss because of the way he fought uh most people didn't even know his hand was broken at the end of round one it really seemed to start to bother him at the end of like round three but um yeah he was still throwing bombs out there as well so great fight great fight for both of them Here's what's probably frustrating about Kevin Holland. A, he can just move from welterweight or to middleweight without a problem. So he's very versatile for the organization. He's got a fun personality. He'll take it on the chin in terms of like, yeah, I messed up or whatever. And then also have enough swag that you look forward to in his next fight because he's a badass, right? Mm -hmm. But they talk about how his ground game is really actually underrated. I think he's got a brown belt. He's not intimidated in there. He does not look scared. He does not look like he's scared to fight. He looks like he's having a blast and would ra wouldn't rather be anywhere else. You know, some of the best fighters in the world look like they just don't want to be there. Fedor, GSP, I don't know, Carla maybe. Like, they just want it to end. Rose. Kevin looks like he could fight, and as long as he hadn't broken anything and the next fight fell off, and if they would let him, he'll do that one too. Um, and I think because of that, we all we all still think that he's only maybe reached sixty percent of his potential. 
So if you could just dial it in, you know, keep working on the wrestling, don't get taken down, develop a little bit more one-punch power, like maybe this guy could actually even be better, you know? Mm-hmm. The fighter IQ is, is fair, man, and I've said it as well. When he talks to the audience or to Dana or to his opponent or he just strays from the game plan and he costs himself, that's the difference between him probably being having similar careers to maybe Guida or Johnson. And let me state this. Guida and Johnson have both had win streaks where they were on the cusp of a title shot. So I'm not calling them tomato cans or journeyman or nothing like that. What I'm saying is the long tenure that they've had. And most of it not being at the top. I think Kevin Holland is probably going to have that type of a of a career in the UFC, which is fine. But in the end, I think he's going to look back and just wonder if he would if he could have focused better or been more disciplined. Maybe he could have been at the top a little bit longer. There's there's other fighters that'll have a long tenure, but they're always at the top. You know, they're not far from a title shot. And that's that also it, it allows you to get more title shots for one, and it also allows you to be more coveted if you become a free agent. It also allows you to have out of competition sponsors, more opportunities, and frankly, you just make more money every time it's time to renegotiate a new contract. You're just gonna make more money, you know. But mm-hmm. you gotta start winning some of those big key fights, and he's falling short in those. Yeah, I'd like to. You know who I'd always want to ask this to is Robbie Lawler because he had a career where for a long time, he just kind of represented a tough outing. You know, you got Robbie Lawler, it's a tough guy, but then he turned his career around and became a world champion. Uh So I've, I've always been curious, like what it was that he felt that he lacked or, you know, if it was a, if it was just learning techniques, if it was a mental thing or what, but Kevin Holland definitely has talent. You know, but I, I think he's just out there for something else, maybe to make money. Uh, I don't know. There's but, more money to be made as champ. But his uh, his worth. Well, like, I, I think he's he's out there and he's just thinking, I want this bonus. I want to win. I want an extra 50 G's or something like, I don't know. I don't think he, he thinks big picture. I think he's just he's in the, in the moment. I think I could accept that if he had less than 10 fights. But now he's been around the block a few times where I think he knows. Yeah, those 50 Gs are nice, but he's probably been in saunas or signing posters or at military visits or whatever, or trained with the fighters that have cashed big checks, you know, because they've been in title fights or they've been title contenders for a long time or they've been world champions. And he's got to be able to see that those seven-figure checks are better than the occasional $50,000 check or the crowd, ain't, at least the crowd ain't booing me, you know, that, that type of love. Mm-hmm. There's this next step. I, I would almost say the same thing about Derek Lewis, except Derek Lewis is a heavyweight and he has cashed big checks. I still think he could have cashed bigger ones if he won the world title, but he's fought for the world title a few times. So yeah. he, he just has come up short, unfortunately. I think he's come up short because, you know, usually he didn't have as rounded of a skill set as the opponent, and it, it usually cost him when the fight hit the ground. Maybe you know he on the feet he's a terror, right? Mm-hmm. But on the ground is when you know he's usually come up a little bit short. 
Now, I might be wrong. Maybe his coach, Bob Perez, or I think he's now with a new coach, or someone close to him says, you got it wrong, man. This guy really put the work in in the wrestling mats and in jiu-jitsu. Okay, I got it wrong. But even Derek has joked about it, you know, like, I'm there to slang and bang, and, you know, I'm not trying to get hugged and whatever. So, uh, So when Derek would say, I just want to get paid, but not... But that would usually come after, hey, are you chasing the title? I ain't interested in the title. I want to get paid. It I always baffled me. Well, if you get the title, you're going to get paid a lot more, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyways, congrats to Steven Thompson on that huge win. Great fight, him and Holland. And I really hope Holland can just figure it out. There you go. We'll just say that, like Lawler did. That was a great example. Here are the bonuses for the night. Steven Thompson and Kevin Holland. Well, if we're talking about them being potential fight of the year, it's no surprise that they were the fight of the night. 50000 each cat. Sergey Pavlovich, 50000 for finishing Ty Tuivasa. Roman Delitzi, 50000 for finishing Jack Hermanson. Now, there was some other finishes, and I'm going to bring it up. Because you've given out other bonuses in the past, sometimes to every finisher or that fifth one or whatever. But I don't know. You know, I, I wonder if some of the other people on the card were a little disappointed, you know, because they got they got their finish and nothing came their way. <laughs> there weren't many subs and RDA got one. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Wish the UFC just had a little consistency there, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. It would make more sense. Yeah. All right. Let's get to our interview, and then we'll come back and hit the uh, the news nuggets that are out there. We're going to talk to Danny Sabatello, who's part of the final four at the Bellator Bantamweight World Grand Prix. He is going to be fighting on December 9th. That's this Friday. And he's got Rafian Stotts in one of the semifinals. Now, Rafian Stotts is the uh, interim uh, Bantamweight champ. So Sabatella could become the interim lightweight champ because the champ defends along the way. The undisputed champ, uh, Sergio Pettis, he's out with injury. He just awaits the winner of the Grand Prix. And then we got Patchy Mix versus Magomed Magomedov in the other uh, bracket. And we're going to be back with the Italian gangster. What is going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts. Today, we get to talk to Bell Torbanoweight, Danny Sabatello, who's got a big fight coming up on December 9th against Raytheon Stotts. It's the main event at Bellator 289. Check the fights out on Showtime. What's up, Danny? How are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Uh, you caught me saying it. I like this guy. I've Ever since you started with Bellator and you've done your thing, become a fan and i know that you have a lot of fans you really know how to stir the pot yeah absolutely you know what and the good thing about this is i'm not putting out some shtick or some corny bullshit act uh this is kind of who i am and i'm gonna be who i am no matter what i know a lot of people aren't gonna like it there's also gonna be people that do like it but either way it's just who i am and, and i'm excited to show the fans exactly who i am consistently uh you know when i first started out with this MMA stuff. I think people thought maybe I was putting on a shtick or something like that. 
maybe I was just cautioning the wind, but you know, this is exactly who I am. And, and I think fans are starting to realize that. So like even that Thanksgiving, are you like pass the fucking cannoli and this and that and <laughs> F-bombing everybody or do you tone it down a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I live in a, a very Italian family, so everyone kind of has the same potty mouth on them. Um, of course, <laughs> you want to be respectful around like my mom and all that stuff. But yeah, pretty much we're all the same. Um, you know, everybody realizes that this isn't a front who I'm close with. Friends, family, they understand that this is exactly who I am. And they're excited as well as I am for everybody to really see that. You look like because Chicago, I believe, is uh, home base, right? Where your hometown, where you're from. Yep. I, I one of my favorite comedians is Sebastian Manikowsko, and I see some similarities. But you look like the kind of guy that would have stuffed him in the locker. He <laughs> is the funniest guy ever. He's actually from Arlington Heights, and that's exactly where I grew up was Arlington okay. Heights. Yeah. Um, so he's he's obviously a lot older than me, but I honestly think he's the funniest guy that has ever lived. He's hilarious. He is. Um, and here's, okay. So this is the part where I, I hope you don't take this wrong because, um, you know, you've had some decisions and I know the finishes are coming, my man, and you've had some finishes, right? But I'm talking about the Bellator stage, but yet somehow through the domination, the, the pace that you put on. And then of course the shine that you have in your personality, we all overlook it. We still want to see more, you know, fan fickles, how fickle fans can be. They want to finish, finish, finish. It doesn't happen all the time, but my point is, is you're entertaining at a high level, uh, you know, and those finishes aren't there yet. And again, I'm confident they'll come because I, I see your style and, and it's just a matter of time and you're facing some tough cats. But again, you've transcended things, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, every fight that I go into, of course, I'm searching for the finish. I've been fortunate enough to go up against some absolute killers. You know, that fight with Brett Johns, who was top 10 in the UFC, was only on five days notice. So, of course, I am going in there trying to finish him, but he's a motherfucker. He's hard to finish. Um, and then you look at my next fight against Jornel Lugo, an undefeated fighter with confidence through the roof. You know, it's really hard to take someone's O because that they think that they can just topple on top of the mountain. Um, and I, I thought I could have really finished him. I thought it was coming in that second and third round, and I was slicing him open, and there was blood spewing everywhere with my elbows in his face. Um, and then I had a tough opponent my last fight with Higo. I uh, really would have liked to finish him, but... You know, he's a guy that you can't really open up too much because that's going according to his game plan. He wants you to slip up for a slip second. He wants you to gain more confidence, make a slight mistake, and then that's when he gets your neck or your arm or your leg. So, obviously, with this fight coming up with Rafael Stotts, I don't think he's very dangerous. I don't think he has any crazy jujitsu like Leandro Higo did or anything like that. So, I am able to open up more. And when you're op able to open up more in this game, that's when the finishes do come. Um, you know, this fight with Rafael Stas next weekend is five rounds because it's for the title. So I'll have plenty of time to break him and get this finish. You know, I do see myself finishing Rafael. Uh, the good thing about me is I'm only 29 years old. I've only been in MMA for a little bit of time now. So I am consistently getting better. You know, I'm at the best gym in the world down in South Florida, at American top team. So all I got to do is really just show up and listen to my coaches and I'm going to get better. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't fought in maybe five or six months. So I've made very big gains, and I'm I'm very excited to put that on display and get this finish against Rafael Stas's bitch ass. <laughs> you know what? I honestly thought there was about a 25% chance he was going to say, how about this? I'm finished with this interview, fatto, and, and gotten the hell out of here. And we would have taken it. We would have taken it. We would have deserved that one. But I did think that was a possibility. I was treading water. I was treading no, water. No, no, I, I understand. I understand that the fans really want to see finishes, but – 
you know, first things first, you got to be smart. You got to get the W. Obviously, you want to be exciting and chase the finish. I think that my skill set is so much higher than these guys where I should be finishing them. Um, and, and I do really think that I will get the finish, hopefully in the championship rounds against Rafael Stotts. You know, I don't want this to be a one-round fight or, or a quick finish. Of course, I would be happy with a quick finish and everything like that. You always have to be happy with wins in this crazy game. But I really do want my war with him. I want blood to be spewed. I want to break him. I want to have no doubt in the fans' mind that I'm so much better. You know, this is such a crazy sport where we have little gloves on. Anybody can get knocked out. Anybody can be submitted in a matter of seconds. You don't always see who's the best person. Uh, with this fight, I want to carry it on as long as possible where you do see how much more dominant I am than this motherfucker, and then I'll get the finish. And, you know, by the way, I really liked your answers, man, because they kind of like – outside the shtick a little bit where you actually addressed it you know professionally and and you actually gave reasons for it um but i do want to be clear up on one thing uh, i think the greatest fighter of all time is george st pierre and he did he had a lot of decisions so I, I guess my point had to do more with the fact that your personality and your it factor has made people um not even worry about finishes or decisions so i i, I hope you didn't think that i was in any way saying, where are the finishes? And I'm not. What I'm saying is somehow, man, you've actually managed to become a star. And, and you know, it hasn't come via the, the seven-second knee or the highlight slam or whatever. Like, I know that stuff's coming because I've seen your athleticism and your skills. But it's just a good case of other fighters should learn. Be yourself. Represent something. I don't know if, you know, whether you want to call it a shtick or whatever. But let it go, you know, because you prize fighters, you have a certain amount of connecting to do. And like you said, you haven't done it in six months, right? But yet people are like, when's this guy fighting again? You know, that's all I keep hearing. So, you know, like that that's what I wanted to give you kudos on. No, absolutely. And, you know, when the expectation is so high where people are saying that, holy shit, he has to get a finish over those very elite fighters, I'll take that. You know what? To me, that's actually giving me praise and high props where not only am I winning these fights and everybody expects me to win, but everybody thinks so highly of me that I should be getting finishes over the best guys in the bantamweight division, regardless of promotion. But yeah, I mean, I, I do need to get finishes. Um, I want to get finishes. If you look at other people other than GSP, you know, Khabib obviously had a lot of unanimous decisions early on in his career. And I'm still fairly new in this game. It's early in my career. Um, but yeah, again, with these other guys, these other fighters, I think everyone's afraid to talk shit because they're afraid of the repercussions. Yes. No, I don't really, I don't care what anybody fucking says. The only views I care about on me are my coaches, my teammates, my friends, my family, everybody else can fuck off. I think everyone's afraid to talk shit because if they lose the comment section on their Instagram is crazy because people will be haters, but yeah. who gives a fuck? Who cares about all those losers spewing hate out there? They're upset with their own lives. I think fighters need to understand that, you know, who really gives a shit about some people that you'll never meet? Who gives a shit about this fake Instagram and Twitter world? The only people that matter is your friends and family. You know, whether I win or lose my fights, it really doesn't have too much differential on my life. My friends and family are going to love me and care about me no matter what. The only thing that differs if you win or lose is the comment section on Instagram. And, and I'm really not too careful about that. I don't really give a fuck. Danny, so I want to ask you something. You've been in front of Stotts before. You've looked into his eyes, peered into his soul. What What is it that you saw? Yeah, I see straight fear on him. Um, ever since my last fight against Leandro Higo, once that was done, they brought Rafael into the cage, and I had my middle finger in his face for about five seconds before he actually did anything. I think he was absolutely stunned from there on out. 
Um, and every time I go with him and I, and I see him face to face and he's right next to me, he always has so much nervous en energy. He's always swaying back and forth, shaking his knee. He's trying to convince himself that it's excitement, but I could tell that it's really heavy nerves. You know, he's never been in a fight like this. He's never had this build up to a fight. He's never really talked trash like this before. So the stakes are a little bit higher from him. You know, one thing with me is I believe in mental warfare and I, I believe in building the pressure because I think that's when the best Danny Sabatello comes out is when the lights are brighter and there's more pressure. And I think that a lot of people crumble once there's pressure and the lights are brighter. You know, I think when we go in there in that cage December 9th, I think the lights are going to be a little bit too bright for him. I think he's going to be a little bit too heavy in his legs and his arms, and he's going to feel exhausted after one round just because of all that pressure mounting. And, you know, whenever you go up against a guy that you hate and you're in foreign territory, you just want to knock his fucking head off. So I know he's going to go out there in that first round and just want to finish me with all his might. But I'm a smart guy. I'm cool. I'm calm. I'm collected. This isn't foreign territory to me. This is just another fucking fight to me. Um, and, and I'll be able to expose him once he gets dog tired. So one of the things that I think is unique about your fighting style is your pressure. You don't give the fighter any time to think. You know, you're constantly in their face. So this being a five-round fight, do you need to fight any differently? Or can you do that same pressure uh, for five rounds? Yeah, I love that it's five rounds. I think five rounds are tailor-made to my style. You know, I think my best attribute is actually my conditioning and my pressure. Um, my grappling is obviously another great attribute, um, and my striking is coming along. But I, I really think that nobody in the Bellator Bantamweight division can keep up with the pressure and sustain it for five rounds. You know, no matter what happens on December 9th, if I don't get that first takedown or second takedown, I'm going to be fucking coming for that third and fourth and fifth. And he's never fought somebody that's like a dog on the bone wanting something. Um, I don't really even give a shit if somebody stuffs a couple of my takedowns. It's actually money in the bank because they've had to work hard and got their adrenaline up and their heart rate up to stop the takedown. So it gets them even more tired. So Either way, if they stuff the takedown, it's great. They expended a lot of energy. And if they didn't stop the takedown and I'm on top, that's also obviously great. Um, and to go through that for five fucking rounds, man, it's a lot. You know, I'm just going to keep on coming. Um, I always put the pressure. I, I try to have it a high, high pace. His fights aren't too high pace. Um, and there's no way he's going to be able to stay in that for five rounds. He might be able for one round or two round. You know, it might look a little bit closer in the first couple rounds. But that's all part of my game plan is just continuously go at this motherfucker, hit him in the face as much as I can, and apply the pressure, and then just fucking break him. Other side of the bracket. Do you even care who shows up? Do you have a preference at all? Nah, I think uh, Patchy Mix and that Magomed guy both suck. I don't think their skill level is very high. I think me and Rafian are both better than those pipsqueaks. I think my side of the bracket is so much better than the other side. I'm not really looking forward to their fight. I don't really give a shit who wins their fight. Um, if I had to have a prediction or, or pick who I think is going to win, I would slightly favor Magomed, but I, I don't think that they're very elite either way. Um, I know Magomed is a little bit tricky sometimes because he throws a lot of spinning attacks, which is crazy because in this game you can be having your lights put out in a matter of second, um, but if he doesn't get a spinning attack, I, I don't think he's that good. And then Patchy, he's very good on the back. You know, if he gets that body triangle on you, he's hard to get off. But other than that, I don't think he's too high level. Um, in fact, Patchy Mix against James Gallagher fight is one of the funniest fights of all times. They both look like absolute bums. Um, so with that fight going on December 9th, I don't really give a shit who wins. I, I don't really have too heavy of a prediction. I think they both suck. And I, I'm looking forward to beating the shit out of whoever wins that fight. So before we close here, just a couple questions. 
What has Coker ever told you about Danny Sabatello, your personality? Has he ever told you, like, just be, do you? Or has he ever told you, tone it down? Anything like that? No, he, he likes uh, my style. Obviously, he likes that I'm winning. You know, one thing that makes this boat row is that not only am I talking trash, but I'm backing it up. You know, yeah. there's a lot of guys in MMA that talk trash and actually suck at fighting. And there's a lot of guys that are really good at fighting and don't talk any trash or make it exciting or anything like that. The good thing about me is I'm the best of both worlds. Obviously, he sees a dollar sign in front of my value. Um, and, and I think he just wants me to continue being me, you know. Uh, don't be anybody that I'm not. Don't do anything fake because the fans can sometimes realize that shit's fake. Um, and, and again, that's that's also why I do think this is working is because people have realized this is actually who I am. Um, you know, Scott Coker is a great boss to work under. I, I love the guy. And I always say, you know, Bellator is the best promotion out there. I hope I have my whole career in Bellator. You know, I can do a lot of things, but I can't tell the future. But if it were up to me, I, I would fight in Bellator my entire career and fight under Scott Coker. He's the man. He likes Danny Sabato a lot. Obviously, they're pushing me. They see the value in me. They see the excitement. And, I, and I'm looking forward to not only becoming the champion of this division, but pushing Bellator bigger and brighter. Is the winner of this Grand Prix, and I know eventually somebody's got to go through Sergio Pettis, so the eventual winner and then whoever uh, can culminate the whole thing by beating Pettis, should they strongly be regarded the number one bantamweight in the world, in your opinion? 100%. I actually think this fight with Rafael Sats, the winner of this fight, should be considered the best bantamweight on planet Earth. You know, Bellator's bantamweight division is the deepest and best division of all MMA promotions. Um, if you look at our Grand Prix tournament, it's absolutely stacked. And not only that, but you have guys like Brett Johns and Darian Caldwell who aren't even in the Grand Prix tournament. Uh, so I think our top eight is just the best there is out there. I think a lot of fans understand that the Bellator Bantamweight division is one of the most exciting divisions there are, and obviously the best in the in the in, uh, in all of uh, the promotions. Um, so I am very much looking forward to not only getting the belt wrapped around my waist December 9th, but also being regarded as the best Bantamweight on the planet. Um, and, and I don't see Sergio Pettis as the champion. I think after I beat the shit out of him, it won't really do too much because, honestly, I see Stas as the champion. I don't see Stas as the interim champion. I think the winner of this fight is the absolute champion of this division. Um, Sergio Pettis is a pussy little bitch in my book. He couldn't even make it through the tournament. And if you just look at his skill set, there's no way you can tell me that he is on par with me or Rafael Stas. So as far as I'm concerned, the belt will be handed on December 9th. I love it. Um, all right, last one. This one's a personal question, uh, but I can back it up. So I hope you don't think I'm clowning. Um, Nick Bosa plays for the 49ers. He's one of my favorite players. That's my favorite team. And I remember during the draft or something like that, they're from Chicago too. him, his brother, Joey. And somebody just said, hey, fun fact, his family actually has ties, generations in the past or whatever, to Chicago mob. And I'm just wondering, Italian gangster, do you or – your circle of family or friends, same thing. Don't break my legs for asking, but I, I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough and tricky question. Usually people that talk about that stuff aren't actually about that stuff. Um, yeah, I don't really know. Um, yeah, no comment. No comment. All right, got it, got it. I got, I, I got it, Danny. No worries. We'll back off. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, great to meet you, and I wish you the best with the rest of your camp. Safe way cut, safe travels to Connecticut. I love Grand Prix. This is historic. I was telling Patchy Mix this. Don't ever let, don't ever put that to the side because these Grand Prix are historical. Shogun, who has won one? 
uh, Vanderlei Silva, Dan Henderson, even the old tournaments that happened in the early days of the UFC, they mean something, man. So appreciate your Grand Prix run, the belt, everything that comes with it. Of course, the bag with a million in it. So uh, anyway, thanks for the time here on MMA Junkie Radio, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yep, absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, take care. I'm an even bigger Danny Sabatello fan goes now than I was before the interview. Yeah, he's a, he's a, I mean, I want to say he's a character, but it seems like this is just really who he is. Uh, I hope he's a guy that's around for a long time. I don't see how he doesn't get better. He's already a good fighter, but. Uh, well, the striking definitely needs to get better, but it, it it has gotten better since the first time I saw him, but he has a way to go before we can say, but before we can't say that it's a little bit of a deficiency right now. Right. Yeah. I, I hope he does though. I hope he's around for a while. Cause he could be a, a star for Bellator. RDA striking. Wasn't that slick when he first started. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's become a really, really good striker. So it can happen. And hopefully he's working at it. He says he is an American top team. We wish him the best. Should be a fun fight and be on the lookout for a Rafian Stotts interview that we did as well. And you can get all of our interviews over at YouTube. The whole interview with video, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. And if you like dogs, check out the one we did with Aspen Lad. Her dog was was uh, in the screen for about a good 10 minutes. Kylo Ren. And it was fun. Yeah. And she's cool. She was cool, too. She was a good sport answer. Some good questions that we had for her. Um, youtube.com forward slash MMA junkie video while I'm giving you reminders reminder that on this Saturday December 10th goes and I will be hosting a UFC 282 watch along here on MMA junkie you just come to MMA junkie at 8 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific watch the fights along with us now the first four on the prelims those are free you all have ESPN plus I imagine by now so those we're watching along together and same with the pay-per-view if you order it however those of you that don't get the pay-per-view and no disrespect to our writers, but if you don't want to be hitting refresh on Junkie and getting the play-by-play or you don't want to be tweeting and retweeting or reading Twitter, then come watch us because we're going to tell you in real time exactly what's going down at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific for the main card, which is a pay-per-view at the top of the bill, Mangomed and Goliath versus Jan Blahovic for the vacant uh, UFC light heavyweight title. As you all know, Yuri Prochaska has vacated the di- the title due to injury. Right, well, while we're shouting things out, might as well shout out the spinning back click tomorrow, right? 9 a.m. Pacific. Um, it's been a blast, and there's been a lot of fan interaction. And if you go to the YouTube channel, you have the opportunity to interact with us as well. So hopefully we catch you guys there. Every Monday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, spinning back click on that same spot. You go to uh, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. Myself and Goes and a couple of our colleagues from the writers and editor group, they they do a great job as panelists and they knock it out of the park. We cover the latest news there. And we're going to cover some of the latest news here now that we're with you. Um, I guess the big, big thing, Goes, is probably, you know, what's going on with James Krause. So in Canada, a couple provinces decided to um, suspend betting on fights involving the UFC while there's an investigation going on. 
stemming from a, a fight. Minner is his name, uh, who fights under James Krause, who suffered an injury, and there was a big line movement uh, because a lot of fight, a lot of money was bet on his opponent that night. And so initially the UFC said they didn't see any wrongdoing, but as this has kind of been investigated further and further, the UFC seems to keep distancing themselves from James Krause. Now, I don't think there's been a guilty verdict yet, um, and I want to be fair about it. So what the UFC has first done is first James was not allowed to corner a couple weekends ago in Las Vegas. Then he was told, uh, you can't corner at all while all this goes down. And then Hunter Campbell, one of the executives at the UFC, stated that fighters who train at Glory MMA, I believe it's called MMA and Fitness mm-hmm. in the state of Kansas, if you train there or if you're cornered by James Krause, you won't even fight for the UFC. So, like I say, it keeps getting worse and worse as this investigation goes through. What do you think about all that goes? Um, well, I, I don't like that people are saying all this due to Kraus because I don't know the evidence yet. All I keep hearing is about a Discord channel where people interact and talk, and he may have chirped here and there, but I've yet to see the official, something officially pinned to him where he says, you better not bet on my guy. He's got a bad week. Like, I haven't seen that. You know what right. I mean? But oh. if it if it exists, they're gonna find it. Yeah, because things like this are pretty damn serious, and so that's the thing is like because this is so serious in nature, you're gonna see. I don't want to say overreactions, but you're gonna see big reactions mm-hmm. because whether this was the NFL or MLB or NBA, you don't want to be associated with anything that predetermines a game or a fight or anything like that. So when these types of things happen, you have to make big moves, strong moves to show that you care and that you're on this, right? The the integrity of your sport is on the line. So like George said, it could very, very well be that a month from now, two months from now, uh, all this just turns out wasn't as big a deal or something, but, but the UFC has to make big moves. You know, and, and that's why this is happening right now. Um, you know, the bottom line is he probably shouldn't have said it out loud in an interview that he bets on his own fighters. You know, that that could have uh, been avoided. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're going to find out here in a couple months or however long it takes for this investigation to happen. Uh, but in the meantime, man, fighters are just really they're going to be affected pretty hard by this. Yeah. What I've noticed that in the day of now and nowadays with social media. You're almost guilty and you have to prove your innocence. Mm-hmm. Whereas before social media, you were innocent until proven guilty. And so I definitely don't want to leave no lynch mob until I know what all the facts are. And if in fact he did something illegal, then yes, he must pay the price. And we'll address it then. And we'll now we'll have the facts in front of us. And it's what I would expect. James would do on his podcast if I did something bad. If that's just the way it is, it's our job as media to go over the facts, analyze them, give our opinions, you know, assess, 
And but, you know, there's like I say, I, I noticed that people like to jump the gun a little bit and let's see how it plays out. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to give me shit later on because something is proven and go, anyone could have written, read that one, a blind man. Okay, all right. I guess a blind man could have read it. But um, there's a lot of times when there's always, you know, two sides of a story or whatever. Uh, I, I think that the UFC probably is doing the right due diligence. And maybe that's a forewarning of what is coming. Who knows? But initially they said they hadn't seen any wrongdoing. So something changed. You know, right. something changed. Uh, people in Canada, I believe it's just a matter of what house you use if you want to make a legal bet. And it's not that hard to make a bet that's, I shouldn't even say that, but come on, man. Unless you were born yesterday, if you really want to get some money down on someone, you can. And frankly, that little memo from the UFC, I don't think that's going to stop too many people from betting on themselves or whatever. If I was a fighter, all I had to do is tell Goes to go do it, as long as he's not my corner. And if mm-hmm. Ghost don't want to do it, then he can tell Laura to do it on behalf of me. Yeah. You know, because she's obviously not going to be in my corner, other than to maybe cheer for me or whatever. But yeah, come on, the, you know that I think that was just some sort of a little fluff piece to make it look like, hey, look, we care. But you ain't stopping that. Ghost and I did a show at Mandalay Bay for I don't know, I don't know how many years, eleven years, I believe. You know how many times we saw people from MMA walking up to the counter and making mm-hmm. a bet? They sure weren't doing it on Sri Lanka, you know, uh, yeah. you know playing cricket or nothing like that. Trust me, <laughs> people were betting, you know, on themselves. Now, betting against your corner, not good. I get it. Betting for your guy? If it was that easy, trust me. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't still be in corners. They would just be in their suite at the fights. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Okay, so that was kind of one big deal. And then I, I we, we had talked about this on Thursday. Nate Diaz is free, but now Jake Paul's openly talking. Hey, the offer's there, pal. Let's do it. Step up. Um, he says he's got a date, a location, and simultaneously he's telling Patty Pimblett, How about you and I um have a little bit of a a go at it, you know, like some sparring and see who gets the best of who, a million dollars. Why does Jake Paul always have to have some dumb bet? Man, all right. What this is what I'm gonna do. If I win, uh, I'm gonna give you, you know, I, I'm gonna flex and I'm gonna give you this one amount of money and charity and whatever. And if you win, you gotta do this. You gotta ride down the strip, you know, in your underwear and join this league or join this association or put on Twitter and say that this and that. Just fight. Just fight and tell us who won. <laughs> Show it to us. Stream it. I don't know. Just fighting the damn UFC PI or whatever. Well, Pimlet said, hey, look, it's my fight week. Leave me alone. But if you want to come over on Monday and Tuesday, we can do it. Says he's very confident. Plus, he'll be like 30 pounds heavier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then this other guy is like, I'll fly you in a jet. Get to Puerto Rico. That's why I start to tune in. As an older guy, I I start to tune out because all I have to do is turn around and watch the Lakers, Manchester United, 49ers, like, Billion dollar serious men competing, not kids chirping. I, if you do this, I'll do that, and you do this, and I'll pie in the face. And you know, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the bets are somewhat funny. I think it's funny that Tyron Woodley had to get the tattoo. Uh, but yeah, some of it does go a little too overboard where you're just like, uh, well, what's this ain't gonna happen, so why are we talking about it? Yeah, and trust me, I think all we do is come up with silly scenarios. But 
when we're done talking, we realize we were just silly. We had a silly moment. We don't really do this in real life in front of millions of people. Like, that's a whole other thing. I don't know. Um, I wonder if that actually hurts him from being taken serious by boxers. Like, I think so, boxers do want to take him serious and maybe invite him to hang out or be with them or just be a part of their group. But because because respect, he makes a lot of money. He's on Showtime and, you know, he's blown up or whatever. But I think I wonder if the boxing community would just say, hey, look, man, put on a suit from time to time and talk about serious stuff. Really, really help the sport grow. Um, and, and I think then, they want no piece of them. Really? Yeah, because what's it say about your sport if somebody can just jump in and make uh, more money than guys who've had 30, 40 fights? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think they want them to lose. I, I think they want no part. I think they don't even really want to acknowledge the fact that it's boxing. Well, I think at least half would go, he's boxing. He's boxing. He's doing it the right way. He's got trainers. He's fighting to the level of his competition. Nobody's saying he's a Hall of Famer or he's a championship boxer or nothing like that. But I think they'd acknowledge it and at least, and at least say he's boxing. I think right now people are thinking, I call it what, low-level celebrity boxing. Other people call it like clown fights or whatever. And It's a little past you know. that, though. It's a little huh? past that. When you're fighting world world champions in other sports, Mm-hmm. It's a little past that. Wait, well, he's yet to fight a boxer, right? But so Pimlet know. at the UFCPI, it's like nah. Fight Fury at the UFCPI or fight Fury well, actually on Showtime. Like he's got, I think, what is he ten and 0, 12 and 0, 20 and 0, I don't know. And I think Hassan Rockman. At least he was on his way. Well, that, that guy had an established pro <laughs> record. I think Tommy Fury's only like six and 0 or something like that. But really? let me look at it. Something like that. Uh, Rockman lost not too long ago. Uh, Reg Hardy uh, didn't put a beating on him, but he did knock him down. Yeah. But yeah, but I get a boxer with from. a boxing record. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's all everyone's saying is like, you haven't even fought a pro, you know, you haven't even fought a pro boxer. Right. Tommy Fury goes is. Yeah, you're right. Oh, no, he's 8 0. He's 8 0. He's got four KOs. Yeah. Anyway, enough uh, about that guy. And finally, what it the, the, is it? Was it we were going to talk about Cejudo and Sterling? Is that what we were going to talk about next? Sure. Yeah. So Sterling is saying it's looking likely like it's going to be Cejudo, and that's interesting because it looked like he really wanted O'Malley because he understood O'Malley would probably be a pretty big purse, you know, mm-hmm. when it comes to pay per view cuts. Why he's changing his tune? I'm not sure. If anything. No disrespect to O'Malley because I know how tough he is. I think he's tough, but I think there's a clear path to victory against O'Malley for Sterling that I don't see with Cejudo. It's not to say Cejudo cannot be taken down and mauled and controlled or whatever, but I think you're gonna have a, you're you're gonna have a tougher time taking him down and holding him down than a Sean O'Malley. And Cejudo on the feet has become pretty competent. I mean. The good thing is Cejudo hasn't fought in a few years, and maybe Sterling's looking at that and saying, ring rust. Well, we're going to get into this a little bit more tomorrow on Spinning Back Click, but I think that's exactly what it is. I think if you're Aljamain Sterling, you know, okay, I got to fight both of them probably eventually. So if I'm going to fight Henry Cejudo, why not get him a couple years older, coming off a giant layoff? Maybe now is the time to get rid of this dude. 
Yeah, could be. Um, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, at least in my opinion, I was happy to see Cain Velasquez wrestle for Lucha Libre. I don't know how big his role was or whatever, but I just look at it as he's out there. He's providing from his for his family while he can. And, you know, maintaining, obviously, the deal that he has with the court. I think the judge told him, don't make me look like a fool or don't make me regret, regret this or something. So let's see what happens there. And uh, hopefully he continues bonding with his family, being with his family, and getting to the eventual end of this case. And trust me, folks, if this case is found where he has to actually, if he's convicted, excuse me, sorry about that, and he has to serve time, then that's what has to happen, right? But um, for right now, I think the judge did the right thing, and I think I've mentioned that before, so I won't get into it. But did, did you happen to catch him? Like, Arnold and King actually went out there and covered that. Yeah, I mean, Kane didn't have ring rust at all, right? Like, he was jumping off the top rope on the bunch of people down on the bottom. So uh, I don't know how far he can go with this. I don't know what kind of paychecks he's collecting, but mm-hmm. it kind of shows you where his thinking is at, right? Like he's been away. He's got to earn some money and lawyers aren't cheap, you know? So I'm not really sure how much this type of stuff pays, but it's good to just see him get back to something that's normal for him. And I want to give a shout out to Nolan King and Simon Samano, who have been doing a great job covering the Cain Velasquez case. If you were to just Google Cain Velasquez MMA junkie, you'd probably get a list of stories and a timeline of what's happened since the very beginning uh, until recently. And again, they've done a great job. And one last time, Goes and I will be hosting a UFC 282 watch along on December 10th, which is in six days. So basically next weekend. The top of the bill is now Jan Blachowicz and Magomed Ankalaev for the UFC, for the vacant UFC light heavyweight title. Should be a good card. It's got some good names, got some ranked fighters. And as always, we are going to have a good time. We've, we've, we've been having some special guests as of late, and I think we'll be doing that again on Saturday. So tune in 10 Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific for the pay-per-view, 8 Eastern, 5 a.m., 5 a.m., sorry, p.m., 8 p.m., 5 p.m. Pacific. Let me start over. (laughs) Deep breath. 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific for the main event. For the main fucking card. It's a pay-per-view for crying out loud. 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for the prelims. There you go. A total of nine fights next Saturday, December 12th. And with that, we're out of here. Have a nice weekend, whatever's left. We'll see you all on Thursday. Go out and be a champion. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.